Welcome to the podcast edition of Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Anne Hill, and every week I explore topics related to dreams, sleep, health, culture, and consciousness. Dream Talk Radio airs every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific Time on KOWS 107.3 FM in Occidental, California. And you can catch the live stream at www.kows.fm. To find out more about Dream Talk Radio, visit my website at anhill.org. That's A-N-N-E-H-I-L-L dot org. Meanwhile, I hope you enjoy this edition of Dream Talk Radio. Today I have a very special guest on the phone. Um, we are going to be talking with Catherine Taylor, who is an artist, a dreamer, a writer, the wife of uh, Jeremy Taylor, who many people know for his books on dreams and his many years of dream ministry. And uh, Catherine, welcome to Dream Talk Radio. Hi, Anne. Glad to be here. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad we could do this. This is this is good. This is a good thing. So uh, just before we came on the air, you were mentioning a dream you had recently about art and the body? Well, it was about my creative energies and a, a health problem that I have at the moment. Uh, would you like me to tell it? Sure. Okay, it's relatively short. I'm doing one of those lovely mundane things we sometimes do in our dreams. I'm washing dishes, mm-hmm. and it's for a large group of people. I volunteered, but I don't feel like Cinderella. I think this is something that I really would like to do, and it's very meditative. And during the course of trying to find my way around this kitchen and find the dish detergent and all that stuff, I find that I need to wash a dish which is filled three-quarters full with green peas. Wow. And I start to dump the green peas into the dishwater. And as the peas are pouring down, I'm thinking to myself, this is silly, this is wasteful, why don't I put this in the refrigerator? And anyway, it's going to clog up all the water and make it a mess and blah, blah, blah. But it turns out that the peas fall down into the water but they don't clog the water, they don't dirty it, everything is sparkly clean, the Mm. dish is clean, and I'm very satisfied at the end, and I know that I'm going to have a dish that's all clean and ready for more peas or whatever goes in it. So when I woke up, I thought, what am I doing having a dream like this? This is ridiculous, (laughs) and there's nothing special about it, and I realized that I had this big aha over the thought that there's a pun in P's and P-E-A-S and P's P-E-E-S. And since I connect peeing Mm -hmm. in the dream with creative energies, and since I'm currently having a problem, a heart problem, which changes the way I live in the world, I'm I'm feeling really um, complex emotions about the thought that I'm dumping out a whole lot of creative possibilities, a whole lot of peas. Uh-huh. But at the same time, I have this satisfaction of knowing that it's like the, the, the pea, the pea pot is like a cauldron, like Hamlet's mill. It's just going to keep on producing infinite amounts of stuff. Yes. And I don't have any problem with the fact that I may lose some 
of these creative projects because of this heart problem, because there will be more. And it was very comforting when I woke up because I was—I had been worrying about this and concerned about it for weeks and thinking, oh, I'm getting old, it's the end of the road, I'm never going to get all this stuff done that right. I want to do. But yes, like the, the, the unconscious that keeps producing dreams, there is no end to it. And I don't need to worry about it. That is very reassuring, isn't it? Yes. It also strikes me that the dream takes place in the kitchen, which is a room that I always associate in my dreams with, um, you know, all of my internal plumbing. Yes. You know, if the kitchen sink is backed up, I might have to to get somebody in. (laughs) Right, right. Yes, well, that's why I like the magical dish of peas. It doesn't seem to do that. That's right. That's a good thing. (laughs) It's a design improvement over previous dishes of peas. And I also read it as a a way my unconscious was saying, you know, you have come to grips with this new situation, which requires a change of uh, how you deal with your life. You can't live your life the way you did when you were 30. Well... Unfortunately, that seems to be true all the way around. I've I, been having those yeah. kind of dreams, too. Well, I think it's a big one, a really big yes. one to have to get over for those of us who have a lot of access to our creative energies. Yes. Well, you know, this brings up a really interesting question um, about... I, I did a show a, a few weeks ago about dreams and physical health, and I had a lot of examples of the ways in which... Um, health problems we've we've got we you know we can get information about our health and you know situations we're in and circumstances in our bodies through our dreams but I'm curious to ask you since you do you have had this heart issue for for a while now um, do you find that you get information I mean do you find that the heart say is represented in your dreams in a consistent manner or is it really it's is, you know do dreams sort of take anything and they don't necessarily have uh, metaphor you know stable metaphors that are always representative of the heart the latter I think unfortunately uh-huh. at least in my my dreaming world it's all over the map I cannot be sure of ever uh, landing. I, I can't be sure, even if an image comes up several times, that it means the same, that it's still about my heart. Sometimes it's a, it's an engine. It's literally an engine in the dream, and sometimes it's you know a floating feather. Right. And as I work the dream, I realize it is connected to the heart issues, but the unconscious just will not follow the rules. <laughs> it just <laughs> insists on putting all of these disparate items together into one puzzling metaphor. Isn't that funny? I mean, it's almost as though really the game is about us uh, becoming in touch with our emotions and our feelings about what is happening in our bodies more than an actual physiological representation. Yes, it forces you to pay attention. Absolutely. Yeah. And for someone who has a tendency to think that her body exists to carry her head around, um, this is really important to me <laughs> to have a, a meditation that requires that I pay attention. Yeah, it seems like a, a useful thing. I mean, I've 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 come across people who uh, you have odd dreams and they don't think it has anything to do with their physical health, and then suddenly, you know, working on the dreams, like, oh my goodness, 
Suddenly well, it's like yes. written in big, sharpie, you know, red letters. Right. <laughs> well, like the dish of peas. Like I mean, the dish of peas. It yeah. took me several days to uh, to understand that there might be a pun here that was useful and connected to the body. Although I should have, I suppose, have followed the hint that it had to do with nutrition and the kitchen and yeah. the place where we put something into our body. Right, right. But I didn't, you know, blind, uniquely blind, yeah. my own dream. <laughs> well, the kitchen does seem to be, I mean, I, 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 who, I wouldn't say that it's universal, but I've come across so many dreams where the kitchen really is, you know, it's the center of our home or the center of our body, and it does have something to do or you can read it in a way that it's it's a representation of what's going on inside of us mm -hmm. physically. But well, do you think this dish of peas is going to show up then in a in a new uh, Prismacolor <laughs> project? Well, I don't usually literally illustrate my dreams. Uh -huh. It might as a starting point, but it would probably become distorted or changed as I dream the dream on in the moment of making the picture, which is how I, I choose to do it, um, rather than illustrating the dream, although right. illustrating the dream is just fine. Yeah. But I've found that I can't, for some reason, stay interested if I do it that way. Um, if, I, if I allow myself to play with the images, it, it is what I call dreaming while I'm awake and dreaming yes. myself onward in the dream. It's dream work is what it is. Yes. The image. I find this really interesting. I was reading your website, um, and, and we will mention your book as well, um, but your website is also called Dreaming While I'm Awake, mm -hmm. and it, it just, it pretty much chronicles your whole creative process and, and how that ties into dreaming over the years, and I came across this quote that, that really struck me, so I wrote it down, because I, I think when we talk about dream art, that's what people think of. Okay, instead of having a journal next to my bed, uh, I'll have a little sketch pad and I'll just, I'll just jot down sketches of the dream. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like from your journey that you actually started that years ago. Mm -hmm. you had a little, uh, but this is the quote that I found on your website. Making a drawing from a combination of the literal dream images and my emotional response to them augmented by the way I dreamed the dream on in the moment of making the picture turned out to be the way to go. Mm -hmm. I think that's a beautiful statement of how actually it's not, it is, it's not just the little literal representation. It has something to do with your work in the moment. It's really a process of working on the dream through color and shape. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it proved to be the key for me. I was certainly stymied for years over simply uh, not being able to imagine a different way than just to illustrate the dream. And that was so empty emotionally for me. Mm -hmm. But being able to treat it as a waking life meditation while I drew just enlivened it yeah. and caused the, the connections, <clears throat> excuse me, the connections that seem to be natural in when you're asleep began to happen while I was awake. And so my, I would just, well, it sounds like the surrealist painters, I would just let my hand do what it wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And there would become these uh, juxtapositions on the page of images, which when I spent some time looking at them, or another thing I did was to give these pictures to friends who were dream workers, 
and say, treat it like a dream. Mm -hmm. Tell me what you see, what connections you would, uh, you project into it. And that proved to be a very useful tool for uh, exploring the dream onward. Well, that's fascinating. So you would, you would uh, engage, they would just sort of start riffing off of, a, mm -hmm. if this were my dream while looking at the, the, the picture. If I were in this landscape, if I were this person, if I were wearing this funny hat. Yes. And so on. And uh, um, whole dimensions of the dream that I had no idea were there appeared. Just as happens when you work a dream verbally. Or with dream theater. Well, you know, that's a very, I mean, uh, to me that sounds like a very courageous way to go because not being a, a visual artist myself, I just, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of stuck in, oh, geez, now in order to get across this dream, uh, this, what this cliff looked like and, and how small the figure was in relation to the cliff and where the sun was rising, you know, I have to draw a little sketch in my dream journal and it's just going to look like uh, crap, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of stuck in that mode of... <laughs> and, and I know that if I draw it, it out, it's probably going to look like you know, um, a chicken's footprint in the sand. And that will be mm -hmm. another layer of dream work. But I still have that sense of I want to control this so that the, the what I write, what I draw on the paper turns out looking at least something like what I actually saw in my dream. So there's this literalist voice. Mm -hmm. Now, how did you ever get past that? Well, I was just paying attention to my feelings, that how uh -huh. dead it felt to do that. And that I, I, well, I, I came to art late in my life, in my 50s, and felt that I didn't have that much time left. I had to get on with it. Uh -huh. So it really had to be meaningful to me to spend time doing it. And if it felt dead, then that was not a way to go. Um, I think that, that it's natural, though, to, to want to be accurate about your dream. Mm -hmm. so that other people will really grasp it the way you felt it in the dream and saw it. But I've come to feel that in the unconscious world, there are no beginnings and no endings. It's a continuum. And if we try to nail it down in the rational waking world, it, I don't know, it's like cutting off its legs. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not what it wants to do. It's a living thing. Yes. It wants to continue and evolve and grow. And there are many, many, many ways to do it. And, and talking dream work and dream theater and, and so forth are. And illustrating it. Some for some people, it isn't a deadening activity to illustrate it. Mm -hmm. But those are usually people who have some, develop some facility at drawing. That's what I've found. Uh-huh. And if you haven't chosen that, <clears throat> and it is a, a discipline to learn rather than a, simply a gift from nature, right? Um, if you haven't chosen that, then you're constantly frustrated. But if you, uh, that's why process painting was so important to me because it was telling me that whatever form was in my mind, for example, the stick figures that you described. Yeah. There, there is an accuracy to that if I can tolerate it, if I can stop the critic from saying, oh, you didn't draw that right. Um, there is something to be gained by continuing to allow yourself to draw in your own way. I use an example in my book about uh, a horse 
in a, a painting class. And the frustration of one of the people in the painting class that she didn't couldn't remember what a horse looked like oh, enough gosh. to paint it. Yes. And she just felt she couldn't paint anything. Well, I was listening to this and thinking to myself, well, yeah, um, I really have the same problem, only I don't want anybody to know it. So <laughs> I'm going to be secretive here. But what if, what if I painted it the way I actually do see it in my mind? So I did that, and yes, it didn't look like any other horse in the universe, but it certainly looked like a unique horse. It was my horse, yeah. and there was an accompanying rush of feeling when I did that that I just couldn't deny. There mm. was something um, that was going to lead to something very powerful inside me. If I actually allowed myself to put out on a page what I see in my mind. Mm -hmm. And I had long ago learned that what I see in my mind is confusing because I see in multiple perspectives. So I am constantly seeing the horse from the front and the back and the side. <clears throat> and as you often do in dreams, as a matter of fact, and you, can't, and you wake up and you think, now was that horse looking at me or was I behind that horse? Um, if you can find a way to put all of that down on the page, even though it looks like mishmash and other people won't recognize it, you're, the feeling inside you is, is so, uh, so authentic that you get tremendous energy from it and more images. The images continue to flow because the unconscious says, okay, you want this? I'll give you this. You're going to allow it out. You know, I think that's a really important point. I've come across this in my in my vast experience of trying to draw my dreams. Mm -hmm. um, that I, you know, I I have the image in my head of what uh, say it's a horse, and I'm and I'm looking at it, and I and all I can remember is just the muzzle right there. And then when I try and draw from memory the rest of the horse, honestly, I draw a blank. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I didn't see it, but I think it is what exactly what you're saying that. I've actually, in my dreams, seen it from different angles. I saw the horse from above. I saw it from behind. And so it's really, I, I, I get stuck because, not because I can't remember, but there, because there's too much information that my yeah. conscious mind is trying to filter into what I think of as a, you know, single perspective representational horse. Well, don't we do that in docking dream work where we try to make a, a narrative out of it that yes. other people will understand yeah. when in point of fact we are many different people, we're seeing things in different perspectives, etc. all the time. And uh, courtesy calls on us to, to try to make it a narrative. But I think it's really confining your, uh, your dream too tightly to do that and losing tremendous amounts of information. Yeah. It really is a, um, I, I mean, I, I see it as a way, a narrative is a great way for people to start tapping in. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's actually a really nice access road to dreams, to think of them in terms of narrative, or sometimes I'll do like, if this were a three-card spread in the tarot, yeah. and there's three images and three scenes or so on, but I think you're right, ultimately there's all sorts of loop-de-loops going on in terms of time and causality in dreams. Right, but we do need to make patterns and shapes from it yes. in, in order to communicate it Yes, and not be in isolation with it. No, absolutely. Well, you know, your whole um, 
your the path, or maybe <laughs> multiple paths that you've taken to this point, really uh, interests me because you've you've gone all of these different routes, and I I think. And I, I kind of want to say this, I've seen this more in, with women than with women, but I think it's actually been similar in, in men's journeys too, that, that we wander through life and we take on a bunch of different stuff and it's like life is a smorgasbord and we do what we need to do for work and we're just, you know, we have all these very disparate interests and then somewhere along the line, say in our 40s or 50s, it all starts coming together and we find ourselves doing something that's a little off the beaten path in a really unique way. And, you know, that's that's how I feel about how you've come through all of the stuff you've done, all the dream work with Jeremy and all the travel and the, you know, the whole institute for projective dream work. And here you are, you're doing this really interesting stuff, sort of sotto voce in the dream world, mm -hmm. you know. Yes, I, I sort of wish I had more of a desire to be on stage, but I don't. I'm just not, it seems put together that way. So I'm, I mean, someone asked me the other day, why don't you go promote your book more? You know, why don't you do this, that, and the other thing? And I thought, well, I'm just so not interested now in it. I'm glad it's out there, but it was the making of the art yes. that really interested me. And I know a lot of artists have this problem, and I really should uh, grow up and get out of it, but <laughs> that well, is the problem. There it is. Um, and as I said before, I feel like I'm now I'm 66, and, and uh, hey, it's time to do what I want to do the way I want to do it. But yes, I have come this roundabout uh, quiet route toward it. But um, for my personality, that's how the seedlings grow. Yeah. And they don't get mown down too soon that way. And, you know, it's a complex of factors why that is, going back into childhood like everything else. Yes, well. But it, it just doesn't matter to me anymore. I'm just going with what it is I know works for me. Mm -hmm. the, the goal being to evolve, ultimately, right. to evolve and grow. And I'll take whatever I need to do to do that. We are talking with Kathy Taylor um, on Dream Talk Radio today. Uh, Catherine Taylor is an artist and a dreamer, longtime dream worker, uh, wife of Jeremy Taylor. I always have to put that in, but I try not to put it in first. You know, it just doesn't <laughs> seem like it that. should be like the first item on a resume. Wait, <laughs> my husband is. <laughs> and back in the 70s, my boyfriend was, you know, any of that stuff. Right. Anyway, um, Catherine Taylor and I'll, I... I call you Kathy. So maybe you should talk about your book some, Dreaming While I'm Awake. What? Uh, and this wasn't actually the first book that you've written. Oh, I or wrote penned. a little book back in the 70s about women's history. Mm -hmm. um, just before our daughter was born, it was the, the baby before the baby. Um, and, and aside from that, I've written some fiction and uh, and nonfiction. I've, I've gone all over the place with writing, but as I mentioned in my book, uh, the the best thing I ever wrote was not as good as the worst thing I ever drew. Um, I didn't know that that art was where my heart was. Um, I had so long assumed that I could not draw, thanks to my <laughs> classic story of my kindergarten teacher telling me I couldn't draw. Yes, and in very, I, very uncertain, you know, very certain terms. Yes, she was quite clear about it, and I, I was always willing to take 
negative stuff to heart way more than positive stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 50-some years, I, I cherished that notion that I, I couldn't make art. Because, of course, you couldn't make any art if you couldn't draw. Right. And then I discovered this magical secret that all it was was paying attention to what you were looking at <laughs> and practice, lots of practice. And no one was going to practice unless they really want to do that, and I really wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. So lots and lots of classes and starting out with the hardest, with figure drawing, only I didn't know that was the hardest at the time. Right. And, you know, a lot of frustration with the methodology of teaching. And when I finally discovered process painting, which is an idea invented by Michelle Cassou and yes. Stuart Cubley, um, it was very liberating because I was, you know, I had the A student mentality. You just have to work really hard and be uh, uh, dazzle as much as possible, and then you would uh, you would accomplish something. And process wasn't what it was about. Mm-hmm. Product was what. It Right. So this was a whole new idea to just uh, express yourself in art and not worry about anything. And so uh, I did that. I took classes and I did a five five day class with Michelle Cassou where we painted all day long. I had a long commute back and forth. And at the end of those five days, I felt like I had the most fabulous vacation of my life. It was so invigorating and renewing. And I thought, this is downright magical. Yes. This is when you paint from inside yourself, when you really, really do do what you want to do, you get nothing but energy. And you get to tap into an absolutely bottomless pit of information and creative energy. And I thought, where have I felt that before Mm -hmm. in the dream world? Uh I know that dreams will never end. I know that there is no end to the creativity in dreams. And these two things are alike. How do I get them together? How do I allow myself to dream while I'm awake? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what started it. And then I wound up having an accident, which landed me in bed for a long time, for a month. And I had to find a format that was smaller than the two-foot by three-foot pictures I've been doing. So I did these nine by 12 pictures with Prismacolor pens. And, well, it was a revelation to find. I I do think it's important to find the tools that work for you. And I had experimented a great deal. And using different other markers didn't work for me. It was just I had to find the right ones. And it was an accident that I did. And uh, I discovered that I could get out of my own way and just let the images flow. And I started by doing images about the pain that I was feeling. I had injured my leg. And it took the pain away. I didn't think about it. Uh And again, this seemed magical and worth pursuing. So I just kept churning out these pictures. And pretty soon I got to feeling better, and there was not a lot of need to to draw pictures about that. And I realized that I really wanted my dreams to be involved because I knew this was this was all the same, it was all coming from the same place. Mm-hmm. And I wanted some integration, and I wanted to grow. Mm-hmm. So I 
began to experiment, and we've already talked about that, about how to do it, how not to illustrate. And that's when I discovered that um, dreaming the dream on in the moment was what kept the juice flowing for me. And so I put this all together, and then the, the book came about 10 years after all of this um, with a, a desire, first of all, to get the pictures out there so that other people could see them, and then to encourage people to just, if they had any desire at all to make art, to just do it, yeah. to show by writing my own story down that it's not that hard, it's not that scary, and no no anvil drops out of the sky on your head, you know, if you make a mistake in what you draw, and just to go for it and see if it helped you to grow. Mm-hmm. So you start, so the book starts out with some of those drawings, uh, those Prisma uh, drawings of your foot after the whole, the injury there? Yeah, I don't know that I have very many of them Uh in there. But yes, there were, there were, um, oh gosh, I don't know, 20 maybe of them. Uh And legs fingered prominently, but, but not solely. Again, it was dealing with the emotion in the moment. Right. and how I felt in the moment as much as it was saying, I have an injured leg. And the emotions in the moment were, I'm, am I crippled for life? Am I stuck in bed? I'm really right. pissed off about this. Um, and so forth. So that's all in the pictures. So I, I can't remember how many of them mm-hmm. are in the book. Well, you know, <laughs> I think it's, it's just such an important thing to, to stress and I, and sometimes people don't really understand that that creativity is not I mean it's not necessarily just okay I'm going to take off an hour now and you know knit something that's not really what creativity is about in in, in its essence it is this feeling of wow this is something that I can do and while I'm doing it I feel alive, I feel such, you know, invigoration, of, and, and I feel better after doing it than I did before. It really is a, yeah. a sort of a, a, an awareness and a whole kind of field that we create around ourselves when we are tapped into what we really love to do. Yeah, it's artist meditation. It's yes. a way to focus your energy on who you are and what you really are feeling in that moment. Yeah. Absolutely. And I... And I I think there are plenty of people who can pick up their knitting and feel a kind of contented meditative state mm-hmm. that I would call creativity. Um, I don't know, wouldn't you? I mean, it, if it gives well, you that kind of... Well, not if it's me knitting. <laughs> Pardon me? If it's me knitting, I'm like, oh. why did I decide to make this stupid afghan? I hate knitting. <laughs> oh, well, there is that too, yeah. Well, it's, just... yeah, it's, it's the authenticity of it, yeah, what your exactly. reason is for doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I did that once. I think I was in. Uh, I was pregnant with my son, uh, my first son. And I thought I just had this urge to knit, and so I started knitting these squares for this afghan because my grandmother had knit yeah. this same kind of thing for us, and and I had about nine squares. By you know by the end of labor, I think I, maybe I had a few more, and there they sat, these little squares of knitted color for years. Well, they, you know, they've probably done their job. I think they had done already. their job. In, in you 
and you doing it while you were pregnant. Yeah, and they actually ended up being little um, covers for my daughter's dolls. You know, they used them as just little bedspreads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It didn't actually turn into an Afghan, but it was it was a good thing to do at the time. It made me feel, I don't know, I was knitting something together rather than freaking out about what was going on. Yeah, and that and that whole interlacing of things, the weaving and the knitting. Yes. Is it's very elemental, I think, when you're weaving and knitting together a new being inside your body. It's yeah, that is true. Yeah. That is definitely true. Yeah. Now, the other thing that, that I wanted to talk or have you talk a little bit about is this whole idea of dreaming the dream on. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it on the show before, um, and usually it takes the form of going into a, a kind of an active imagination process where I, I kind of re-enter the dream and I imagine it, and, but it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a passive process. What I, I think you're describing is something that that you ha- that happens and it's recorded uh, dynamically on the page as it's as it's occurring. Maybe you can explain that a little bit more. Oh, you put your finger on what what is the most difficult thing for me to, oh, to verbalize. That's my job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh dear, put me on the spot here. Uh, act well. I think there's absolutely a place for active imagination, and I wouldn't say that active imagination is absent from the process that I use. Mm-hmm. But it's not, um, it isn't what, um, how can I say this? It really seems to be, for me, a case of getting out of my own way mm-hmm. into a something other than an active state of mind, yet at the same time, keeping the link that's necessary to send the messages to the hand to make the images. Yeah. So I can't just sit there in meditation. I have to be willing to have a channel flowing to my hand. And that took a while to learn, mm-hmm. and I think I described in the book that it, it. One of the ways I taught myself that was to realize that I had to shut the monkey mind up. Right. And oddly enough, watching television shut the monkey mind up, and opened this other channel. So my 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 conscious mind was caught up in the plot or the news or whatever it was I was watching, and my hand. But I was allowing my hand to be active. Mm -hmm. And so, see, it's very hard to describe. I got out of the way for a moment, and the unconscious recognized that it was being invited Mm -hmm. to make images. It wasn't invited to make sense. It wasn't invited for a dialogue. It was invited to make images. And my hand was ready to do that, and so I would just... I, I I don't want to say it was some sort of mechanical drawing or something. Yeah, you know, it it really right. isn't that, because my to some extent my conscious mind is also involved. Yeah, it says if you draw this figure, the arm will go off the page. Do you want to do that? Right, that's still there. 
So it's a really, it was, it initially was a very delicate situation. I, I had great difficulty maintaining it. But again, doing it hundreds and hundreds of times as I have now, mm-hmm. it's not at all a problem. Mm-hmm. All I have to do is put the white piece of, piece of paper in front of me and a pencil in my hand, and I'm off. Don't need any distraction because that's, it's a place I recognize to go to now. You know, I know right. the furniture. I know the light in the room right. uh, in my unconscious. And I just have to say yes to it. I think that's so tremendously important. I mean, it, it kind of reminds me um, as an allegory, the, the whole idea of, of doing yoga. And the idea is not to strain into the posture, but to see how many how many sets of muscles and uh, ways of being you can relax while still keeping active and energized the things that you do need, like, you know, to stand on one leg. Uh-huh. Yeah. You, you don't have to clench your shoulders. You can let your shoulders go, but you have to do something, you know, with your thigh and with your foot. And so it's learning all of the muscles or, or sort of the, the, the uh, channels of awareness that you need to keep occupied or, you know, to keep... Uh, on the sidelines so that this other process can can occur. Yes, I think it sounds very like that. Very tricky. <laughs> yep, and it's and practice is what makes it easier. Yes, that's right. And before the practice you have to have the desire to do it. Yes. And that's really in my in my experience where most uh, people have the problem. Not that they that they don't have these urges, but they haven't recognized them. And that it requires paying a lot of attention to yourself and what it is you actually like and what feels good to you and what you desire and what seems to make you feel whole mm-hmm. and then follow that. Uh, it sounds so yeah. simple, and yet for me, it was so difficult. Well, I don't think it sounds simple at all. I think that's extremely difficult because, I, you know, most people have little glimpses of that. Every so often will come right. off of a looking at a dream and will think, oh, yeah, that's right. I do have that urge to make music, say. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of as far as it goes. And you can spend 5, 10, 15 years having occasional little glimpses of, yeah, that's what I really want to do. Yeah. And never be able to uh, pick up an instrument or fit it in somehow or even start on that process you're describing of just kind of practicing picking up some kind of artistic medium and then setting it down. I mean, that I think yeah. is the most difficult thing is just sort of keeping at it and poking around the edges until something really clicks. Well, I have found that if I, if I persist through frustration, then that's a sure sign that whatever it is, is, uh, well, I, I'll use the shorthand, a right path for me. Yes. And, and uh, I mean, there are many things that I took up and put down over the years, as you describe, and yet I kept going back to them, even if only for a month here or there. And I knew that somewhere in this lifetime, a lot of energy in me would wanted to go into that path. Mm-hmm. And it just, you know, it takes the right circumstances. You're if you're a parent, your children need to get to a certain stage of growth before you can do it. And, right. Uh, you have to be able to to deal with your work life so that you can survive and yet have time to do these things. Yes. Lots and lots of factors. And um, uh, 
but before any of them, you have to identify these these uh, desires. Yeah. And that takes a lot of, for me, raised as a person um, who uh, was taught to put other people's needs before her own, mm-hmm. but then finding my own needs was very tricky. Yeah. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know what it felt like. And so that it was a meditation uh, to uh, to say I'm going to do that and to make note of it. Yes. I found that writing this stuff down meant it didn't just disappear into the mist and was like a commitment to myself to identify these things. So it takes some it takes action. Yes. And overcoming your frustration. Well, we are talking with Catherine Taylor here on Dream Talk Radio uh, today, and one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is you and Jeremy have been together for 30-some-odd years. Actually, 46 now. (laughs) Is it 46? Oh, my goodness. Now, and and, I mean, many people are familiar with Jeremy's uh, dream work because of his books and so on, but... Um, I mean, you've kind of been the silent partner, or maybe not so silent. Actually, you've sort of been the manager for part of this journey. Mm, And I'm really interested. We've been talking about your creative process and how you started out having certain ideas about art, and then they've really kind of morphed blessedly into this way that that you have to uh, dream while you're awake with pen in hand. And I'm wondering if there has been a similar journey for you in terms of how you perceived dreams at the beginning of this whole partnership with Jeremy and how and how you perceive them now. Oh, yes, uh, quite a change. Um, they were pretty mysterious at the beginning, just uh, uh, didn't understand how they worked, bizarre things. Um, this was back, you know, in a, a tw- my 20s and his 20s. And we really were driven to pay attention to it by our constant uh, difficult interactions in relationship and not understanding how to solve the problem Mm -hmm. and discovering that we were mad at each other in our dreams even and that, you know, we'd we'd tell each other a dream and actually feel all that emotion of, (laughs) and you did this and that to me in the dream. And pretty soon, that just became ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> and we realized how ridiculous it was, and we realized that this was a whole nother way to talk to each other, was to tell each other dreams and to listen, really carefully listen to the other person's dream, no matter what it had to say about us. But it was several years before either of us really grasped how strong projection is both on working on someone's dreams and in our day-to-day life with each other. Mm-hmm. And it was understanding projection that made a, a, led us to a level of depth of communication that really uh, stimulated our relationship in ways that couldn't have been otherwise. And the understanding of projection in the dream world, uh, projection on each other's dreams, extended to our day-to-day life, utterly transformed it. Yeah. If you own your own, if you own the fact that all you can do is imagine another person's reality, 
then all of that you should and why did you and etc. drops away and becomes something that can simply be talked about and worked with. Mm-hmm. I know if I, well, you know how projection works. Sure. So it's, uh, that's probably the most important thing. But there were years and years and years of struggling to find ways to talk about dreams. There weren't that many books written. Right. Um, Anne Faraday was one of the, the first. And we we just had to kind of invent as we went along um, how to do it. And, well, of course, you know, Jeremy made it his life. Right. Um, for me, it was not that kind of calling, mm-hmm. but it was absolutely essential to relationship building, and that was something I was highly focused on. Right, of course. And well, then when our daughter was born, it was a wonderful way to talk to her also. And now she is actually a dream worker. Right, she does it too, <laughs> in yeah. her own completely unique way. Uh, that's great. Yeah. Well, how fortunate that you were able to, you know, come to the same, relatively the same conclusions about projection, which maybe some people are out there scratching their heads, what is projection? Mm-hmm. But... Um, you know, it's basically the idea that I'm listening to your dream, but I'm having my own my own version of it in my head, right? Right. And that's what I'm speaking to. I'm not actually speaking to your experience. Right. I can't know for you. Only you can know what's going on in that's your dream. That's right. Which you know, I think is a is a huge uh, boon to the whole idea of of dream interpretation. I you know, I just I'm well. I'm a firm believer and a wild advocate of projective dream work for that <laughs> for that very reason it yeah. give, it puts it puts it it insists that we not only have but make conscious our own understanding of our own dream right you know and so um, you also lived through the whole interesting late 70s early 80s i'm going to i'm going to um, talk about it in that and characterize it that way, but maybe it's it's gone farther than that. But you know, there was this whole once once the dream, uh, the idea of reclaiming dreams as a sort of a grassroots dream work movement uh, really started surfacing in the '70s. Say, then there was this whole idea of we can control our dreams and we can fly and we can do this and we can do that. I mean, you've lived through that whole mm-hmm. that whole phase. Do you have any comments about that? Well, you know, I for some reason I never got that interested in lucid dreaming. Uh-huh. Um, I know that it's very uh very helpful to some people to explore that side of it. I just kept being so interested in what the dreams were coming up with. Uh-huh. That I could not, dis- I just couldn't get into uh, learning the techniques, which I know are out there, yeah. to uh, control what was going on. Um, although I may become more interested in that as I grow older, I don't know. But at the moment, I'm still full of wonder at what comes up. And uh, I'm always interested in turning the next corner and seeing uh, what, I've go- what I'm going to do. It gives me a sense of where I am in, in my growth. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always interested when I, when I 
I confront a demon or a monster or when I choose to run away from it. I mean, that seems extremely significant to me in giving me information about what my attitude and feelings are in waking life toward challenges, for mm-hmm. example. And I just like to get it straight, I guess, <laughs> if you know what I mean. I do know what you mean. I mean, and my experience of, of being in a group working on dreams with you is that you're you're one of those people, and I have a couple of other friends who are like this. They'll, you know, you don't say much at the very beginning, but then you have this interesting. And I always pay attention to what you say about dreams because you've got you've been sort of chewing on it for a while, and really putting yourself into the dream mm-hmm. and saying, why did I turn away from that man who offered me a milkshake? Yeah. What, 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 and how, and, and you've been sitting there actually really going internally and saying, what would be the feeling that I would have? You know, this, it's not really dread, but what is it? And, you know, I'm just I'm a tremendous admirer of that ability to stick with process and emotional cues in the dream to reveal possible meanings. <laughs> and you're so much more articulate than I am. I love it. <laughs> Yes, I say yes. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> no, it's a uh, uh, yes. I like re-entering the dream. I like reimagining it. Yeah. I like re I like imagining different outcomes. What if I? Uh, what if I turned and ran from the monster? Right. What would right. that feel like? What would I do? And I do find. Well, I guess it's it's like the the art. I dream it on in that moment, mm-hmm. and I find out so much about mm-hmm. who I am that I keep being more intrigued by that than by um, learning hand techniques to uh, get loose in the dream. Yes, yes. Although, again, I say there's a place for that. There's, there are as many different ways of doing dream work as there are human beings. So yes. uh, everybody should do what feels, uh, what feels like helps them grow. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I've never really... I, 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 I don't have the stick to to practice the whole... A, a few of those lucid um, trigger things mm-hmm. that you can do to, in, to uh, induce lucid dreams, but I do have moments of lucidity, mm-hmm. and, I, and to me, those are those are worth a lot. Well, there are, I think there are many different moments, many different kinds of lucidity I've found in dreams, and that we don't have to uh, say literally say in the dream, "I'm dreaming." For it to be a lucid moment, I have semi-lucid moments, I'm calling them, where I'm aware that, I'm aware of something that is true in waking life in the dream. Right. Or I'm aware that I have dreamed the dream before, even in a different form. Um, So those are lucid moments, and they are useful. They're tremendously useful. And I'm always glad to have a dream that's where I know that I'm dreaming. Um... Uh, I just don't uh, want to work hard at getting them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not the, it's not, well, again, it's a sort of a goal orientation that your whole process is to step yeah. away from. Yeah. You know. But in in truth, it sounds like if you're able to, um, you know, sit with your um, piece of 9 by 12 paper and all of those pens and start with start somewhere and end up somewhere completely else while awake. I mean, that's pretty lucid. Yes, I suppose. I mean, in fact, the whole title of your book, Dreaming While I'm Awake, mm-hmm. I think that's a description of lucid dreaming. 
You're right. <laughs> oh, you're so right. So, but actually, I mean, to me, to my mind, I agree with Jeremy when he says that the the whole point of lucid dreaming, and actually it's sort of a, the Tibetan Buddhist thing, I think, for as little as I know about Tibetan Buddhism, but, you know, the idea is the point of developing lucidity in dreaming is to actually become lucid in waking. Mm-hmm. So I think that anything, I mean... He's really I, clever, yeah. I know. He's <laughs> such a clever guy. He should write a book. <laughs> or 12. Right. <laughs> no, indeed. And, and evolution is the ultimate uh, goal. Evolution of the right. species. Right. The more we, each individual knows, the more that the species knows. That's right. Um, yeah, growth and progress. I'm, I'm all for it. And, <laughs> and an interesting dream last night, if you know, if we have enough time. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, where I'm in, uh, make a long story short, I wind up being introduced to a mother rock huh. that's been created out of the mind of this old man. And he's, it's, he hasn't made it mechanically. He's, he's manifested it somehow out of his mind. And I... <laughs> I, I walk around this rock and I feel the rock's texture through my feet and I mm-hmm. feel it both uh, pulsing and absolutely still and all. I feel it hot and I feel it cold. All of these opposites are in it. And I, um, I think, gee, you know, if you're going to create a rock out of your mind, how come we couldn't have created a more you know, exciting and dynamic rock. <laughs> this is just a kind of average-looking um, rock with a lot of nooks and crannies and mm-hmm. little hillocks in it and so forth, and it's uh, set by the ocean. And I, I just woke up giggling over this image and and thinking, yeah, well, that is an image for how I see creativity within me. Yes. That, yeah, with just my mind, I can create this, this thing, and it doesn't have to be a beautiful thing. It simply has to be my thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the implication of the mother rock for me, the mother, the beginning of it all, yes. by the ocean uh, rock. And so I, I, I woke up with the, a giggle and, and a great deal of happiness that I was actually creating more than I thought I was creating, and this was very important to me at the this moment because I've gone back to painting ah. and uh, in the process of experimenting with the paints I've, I'm reproducing the whole process of my artistic journey of oh this is garbage what am I wasting my time with this for uh, this isn't the right thing blah 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 you can fill in the blanks right so it was really uh, really nice to wake up this morning and think yeah you're frustrated but Push on, push on. Yes, push the mother on. rock is being built. <laughs> that is a lovely, and you know, it brings up the whole issue of legacy. Honestly, mm. because a rock is something for the the rock of ages. No, you're right. You yeah. know, so <laughs> hadn't thought of that. <laughs> there will be children playing on this rock generations after I am gone. Exactly. Yes, and there have been children. Interestingly, because it's worn down. Now that you mention it, oh. it's eroded slightly. Ah. On the surface of it, it's been around for a long He must be older than he looks, this old guy. <laughs> yeah, legacy. Legacy. And yet it's right by the ocean, which, as we know, wears down everything right. eventually. 
Right. Lovely image capturing both sides of that coin. Yeah. Which I I was blind to some of that, of course, Mm -hmm. in my dream. Thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you for the image of the mother rock being uh, being created by this old man's out of his mind. He Mm -hmm. actually created something. And that's I mean, that's just so beautiful. I think a lot of what we've been talking about in terms of the uh, translating the multiple perspectives of dream into shapes and figures that are that are geometric, that that are solid in some way. You know, trans, translating this multiple dimension thing into two and three dimensions yeah. is like creating a rock out of out of our minds. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Thank you so much for sharing that dream. Oh well, thank you for giving me insight into <laughs> it. <laughs> Well, uh, Kathy Taylor, it's been a real pleasure. I knew this would be a really fun conversation to have with you over the phone. Uh-huh. And um, let's tell people how they can get a copy of your beautiful book. This, the, the drawings in this book are not to be missed. <laughs> well, it's easy to, to get it. Um, you can either uh, contact me, which is Katherine Taylor, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R, one two three at comcast.net or go to blurb b-l-u-r-b dot com and put in the name of the book or my name great and thank you so much Anne. i really enjoyed talking to you oh my pleasure uh, this has been dream talk radio for this thursday and i will be back next thursday with another interesting show but Sadly, not another conversation with Kathy Taylor. (laughs) All right. Take care. Great to talk to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That ends this week's Dream Talk radio show podcast. Thanks for listening. And remember to tune in every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. at www.kows.fm. This is Ann Hill, and I'll see you again next week.